Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of... Am I too close to the microphone? My voice sounds good, but I might be too close. I'm your host, Kevin. This is actually called Sad Times, and I am your host, Kevin. Uh, I'm called Kevin because it sounded good with my sister's name, according to my mother. And uh, we thank you for joining us. For those of you who have never joined us before, welcome in and just a quick primer on what sad times is sad times is a show where we have somebody come on who has as we all have been through very difficult times been through challenging times times where they weren't sure what was going to come next and how they reacted and you know sometimes we don't share these stories uh, as much as maybe we should about all of our struggles so you know that's the goal of sad times is for you at home uh, to listen to it or at work, I hope you're listening at work, uh, or at work uh, to hear these stories and maybe feel a little bit less alone and then maybe feel compelled to maybe talk about some of your difficult times with, with um, some people as well. So that's what Sad Times is. Let's get to today's sponsor. Now, this one is not angry, so it's kind of angry, but Brent did not find this sponsor. This is one that I was able to, uh, I usually call sponsors from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., so that's probably why we don't have any real sponsors. Oh, I'm sorry. This is also a real sponsor. Anyway, this week's show is brought to you by my childhood fear that plants would eat me. Look, big oil, this had to do with my strange and imaginative way to make everything in the world created for my specific demise, not because I'm into pollution. I'm cool with plants now. Please lose my number. All right, cool. You know, and now just as I say that, those fuckers are going to eat me because I'm not suspecting anything. Okay, enough of that shit. Let's get to our wonderful guest my friend, my dear friend, Whitney. Whitney, how the hell are you doing? I'm doing really well today. And as a matter of fact, to go with your theme, my name is Whitney because my mother said it sounded so well with Wells. And so well with Wells. And Wells is was your was your first I don't like the term maiden name, so I'll say your your first last name. My given name, yes. Your given name. There you go. Amen. Amen. Uh yeah, well, Whitney Wells, that does roll off the tongue. <laughs> What is your middle name again? Jane. Oh, that's right. You and my, uh, that's something you have in common with my sister. And uh, you also have in common with her that uh, neither of you are doctors. I was going to tell you that, that I am not a doctor. Yeah, I know. I, look, she's always <laughs> like, I'm a doctor. And I'm like, no, you're not. And, um, you know, there we are. She doesn't really sound like that, but that's my impression of her. So Whitney Wells. So you were named Whitney because it went well with Wells. That's Talk correct. Welcome to this week's edition of Alliteration. <laughs> okay, Whitney. Well, I, I've, you know, let's see. I've known you about two and a half years now. And I first met you when uh, we were uh, at an interview. And uh, you were cracking me up in that interview. We offered you that job when you were half a block away. And we've become very close friends. And I'm, I'm the better person for it. So let's talk about some time... Before then, of course, tell me where you're from. I'm from Portland, Indiana, 33 miles southeast of Muncie. And if anyone knows where Muncie is, that is where uh, I think well, Close Encounters of a of the Third Kind. Yes, there's a reference to Muncie there in that movie. Oh, is there? Okay. I've only seen that movie like once, I think. I'm sad to say. Okay, so, and where in the state is Muncie? Uh, 
It is right probably in the middle, it's south of Fort Wayne, ah, Fort uh, Wayne. 12 miles from the Ohio border. Ooh, you dodged a bullet there. Mm-hmm, I sure did, but it was really <laughs> pretty interesting growing up because when I grew up, you could, had to be 18 to drink beer in the state of Ohio, so we could make that little jaunt and drink when we couldn't drink in the state of Indiana. Well, here's hoping that you didn't drive. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. So you grew up in Indiana. You're like me. You're a, you're a Midwest kid. Uh, Midwest. Uh, I love Midwest. One of the reasons I love Chicago so much is because it's seriously the Midwestern city. It still feels like the Midwest, but in a in a large sprawling metropolis. Whereas New York definitely does not have that feeling. Would you Would you agree with that? Well, I enjoy Chicago. I've never been to New York, um, but I'm from a small town. And when I did move away from there, I moved to a small town that was outside of a metropolis, as you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. Yeah. And, you know, when you were young, you're the youngest of four, right? That's correct. So tell me about your siblings. I have three older brothers. Um, my oldest brother is 13 years older than I am. My next brother is six years older than I am. The other brother was four years older than I am. And I am the youngest and the only girl. So, were they nice to you? Oh, well, you know, as nice as brothers can be when you're growing up, I worshiped them and they tormented me. Even the even the one who's 13 normal. years older <laughs> than you, there wasn't like a, there wasn't, it, was he also tormenting to you? Oh, well, of all of my brothers, my oldest brother, JC, mm-hmm. he was too much older than me to really remember a lot of him when I was growing up. And by the time I started getting memories, he had course graduated married moved on my brother matt and my brother wyatt were very close they were about a year and a half apart but my closest brother was my brother wyatt Um, gotcha and And he's the one he's the one who's only four years older than than my other brothers because uh he was like my best friend yeah and well i mean again all the joking that i do at at my sister's non-doctor expense uh i try to also point out that she's you know, she's one of the most important people in my life easily. So yeah. I totally hear that. And I know that you and I have had uh, countless discussions on the wonder that is a, a, a close sibling and, yes. and how wonderful it is. And that that's one of the first ways that I think we, we really bonded. Um, uh, yes, it probably was when we were talking about your sister and your family and, and uh, growing up. Right. And we also bonded over our shared love of the Beatles. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Brent, don't look over here like that, you motherfucker. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So you're the youngest of four. Tell me about your parents. Um, My parents, uh, my father was born in 1906. He was 19 years older than my mother. My mother was born in 1925. Um, So I grew up in a home where uh, I lived with my grandmother and grandfather and then they, my grandmother and grandfather on my father's side, mother's side, excuse me, had six children. And they had one great big huge house. So whenever there were troubled times or anything, everyone always came, as we call it, either the barracks or the big house and lived. So when my Aunt Betty Jo and her two children, when she got divorced, they moved into the big house. And when my Uncle Dale got divorced, he moved into the big house. So I grew up in an environment where we all lived in one big house with my grandparents, aunts and uncles, their children, 
my parents, and my brothers. So, so it's I, a different environment than what you see today. I mean, I, I it's kind of like that the Waltons thing, you know, where everybody all still lives there. And um, so I always had someone there to talk to, hang out with, play with. Um, one of my cousins that lived there with us, her name was Beth, and she was exactly nine months older than I, I was. And so they moved in there when she was about two or three. So I didn't know what it was like not to have a sister, even though I didn't have a sister in my life. So I grew up with like a, just a whole horde of people all the time, which was great. I, I know that myself now that I've gotten older, that's something that my home tends to be is the place where everybody wants to be because we're always having a good time. There's always something to do. And this is where everyone wants to gather. It's a safe place. And that's what the big house was like growing up. Yeah, and I, I'm going to second that too. Not not as somebody who hangs out at your house, but just the the vibe that you and your husband put off is everybody's welcome. We're here to have a good time. We hope you're having a good time too. Um, yes, and it, it's it's a very wonderful thing to be around. Yes, it's just I, I don't know how to be another way because that's how I was raised, and um, my grandparents were very loving people, um, but my my parents uh, did not have a great marriage. Um, my father was not a happy man by the time I got around because I was the last one. And as they used to say, they loved to tell me that, and my brothers especially, that I was a mistake. Um, because and there he was, was what, like 56 when you Wyatt. were born? But my, my dad took early retirement. He was not very happy. So he was one of these gentlemen that would go up. This is what I remember. My brothers remember him differently because they saw my father in a different light than I did because I knew him when he was still working and engaged in social aspects and happier, but he was bitter and unhappy by the time I got around. So he would go up in the morning and get up and go to the Elks or the Eagles or the Moose. We all know about those places. If you're from the Midwest, sure. where he'd play, we'd play cards all day and then he'd come home. Um, and as soon as his foot would hit the back stairs, he was just a raging asshole. But uptown at the bars, everyone loved my father. Everyone loved old Wobbly Wells. And he got that nickname from when he used to play basketball. His He wobbled when he ran, so it looked really funny. So they always <laughs> called him Wobbly. So um, as soon as his foot would hit the back stair when he got home, he would scream at the top of his lungs, what's for supper? Probably the usual hot tongue and cold shoulder. I don't think there was a day in my life that passed when I lived at home with my parents that that did not come bellowing up the back steps whenever my father came home. Now, my mother worked and her and her sister owned a nursing home, 33 bed nursing home that was right across the street from us. And um, so she worked all the time. So my father took early retirement and that meant he could play cards and drink and torment the living shit out of everybody. And my father would finally be happy when everyone else was as miserable as he was. So, so that was, that's what I remember growing up about my, my father and my relationship with him. I wanted to ask something too about that line. Um, really, he, it's not over-exaggeration to say that that's what he said every day when he came home? That's absolutely correct. Did he just every think it was funny every time day. or did he, do you think that it, he liked to say it because he knew it would get under everyone's skin or is it something else? I think he said it because he knew how bad it, how angry it made my mother. 
because my mother worked third trick at the nursing home, which third trick is some people may not know is third shift, you know, mm-hmm. you first, second, third shift. So that was the 11 to seven. So my mom worked third trick. And um, so she was usually sleeping when he came home. So she would always try to get up before he did to make sure that when he did get home, she had something cooked for him. And my father, we did not eat at the same, even in the same room with my father. Uh, we all ate in the kitchen and dad's plate was taken to him first. And he ate in the living room by himself because he was impossible to be around because he would just start verbally berating you until you were miserable. And then he would be happy. And, and I, I think you said this too, but you know, obviously when he's at the, the Elks or wherever it is mm-hmm. and he's the life of the party, as you said, everybody loves wobbly wells. I mean, I, I kind of love wobbly wells, but mainly because <laughs> of the name, he would be just a, a guy that everybody's like, Oh, I love being around that guy. But when he came home, um, he was probably drunk then. Oh yeah. He, well, he was drunk within the first hour of getting up every morning because my father, um, he had his chair in the living room. His footstool was a 24 pack case of Paps Blue Ribbon that he kept there warm so that when he got up in the morning and cracked his first one, it wouldn't hurt his belly when he drank it. So that's why he kept it room temperature. So that was also how when I would get ready to go to school in the morning, I was usually woken up to my father cracking the top off of a warm long neck PBR. Wow. Uh, did you ever ask him, Hey dad, do you think that, um, they want a blue ribbon in 1893? Do you think they could maybe (laughs) stop riding on those coattails? No. Oh, okay. uh, I just, you know, my dad, my dad did treat me a little different than he did my brothers. I think that's because I was a girl and they were boys and he always wanted a little girl and I was the last one. So he would do some things where he tried to be sweet to me sometimes. Um, but it's, Few and far between. He was nicer to me when I was really little. Um, it's what they tell me. I don't really remember. Um, but once I got old enough, I think probably around fourth or fifth grade, when I started getting a little bit of an opinion, then I became just as much of an asshole as all the rest of his children. But he was especially hard on my brother Matthew. Um, and that's your uh, the second oldest, right? Yes. Um, and my oldest brother, as I said, he was 13 years older than I was. And so he moved out his senior year of high school because he couldn't stand my dad anymore. He couldn't be there. So he moved out and moved in with some friends. And I think that that just meant Matt moved up the food chain and he got to be tormented the most. And Wyatt, I, he did not really torment Wyatt so much. Now, Wyatt was named after him. Um, He's named after Wobbly? Yes, his, my brother Wyatt's name is Warren Wyatt Wells, and my uh, father's name is Warren Albert Wells. And he always wanted someone named after him, because when I was born, my mother wanted to name me Whitney, and he wanted to name me, are you ready? Yeah. Warrenita. One more time, let's say that again, please. Warrenita. Man, that's the, that's the other sponsor of this show, is the name <laughs> Warrenita, because that's fucking awesome. And you know what? I'm a little upset that your mom didn't allow that to be your name, but whatever. That's fine. That's fine. Can I call you Warrenita? Please don't. Okay, then I won't. <laughs> All right. I, I At least I asked, you know. But thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I don't know if you know this. Speaking of W's, um, we have a, uh, a data research guy here, uh, kind of an intern. His name is Wade. Uh, he's always in here. I'm yelling things at him every once in a while. So there's, there's another W for you. It's a very powerful letter. Thank you. 
okay, so what would he say to you? So would the same thing happen with your oldest brother with your dad? Was it just kind of like he, everything that your brother did, he would tell him he was doing wrong, uh, he just would not let him be type of thing? Oh, for example, you'd go in and you'd sit in the room with these like, what are you doing? Don't you have something to do? Jesus Christ. All you ever did is sit around and do nothing. Long-haired, useless, fucking hippie. And you just start and just go and go and go until whatever it was till you finally like, fuck it, I'm out of here. And you get up and leave the room. Then that's why he was always so... JC, like I said, I don't really remember because he left, but they argued a lot. But with Matt, it was every day in the mornings and in the evenings, he was always drag ass. That's what was the favorite thing you like to call him. Drag ass, long haired, hippie, useless motherfucker. Um, And he had no problem telling everybody and screaming at the top of his lungs about it. So, of course, this is also heard all over the entire home where I lived with my whole family. We lived on the upstairs and my grandparents and my divorced aunt and uncles and their kids lived downstairs. So um, it, it was just constant. It, it didn't matter what you did, what you said. It, when I had people come and spend the night when I was growing up, which didn't happen a lot, but it did sometimes. I had specific girlfriends I hung out with a lot and they would come over when you would have to go to the bathroom because the way the upstairs was set up, our bedrooms were down a long hall and then where he sat in his chair he could see where people came in the back door he could see the bathroom so when someone would come down the hall to go to the bathroom you would hear screaming from the other room what the hell is that what do you want who are you get out of my house never even gave you a chance to answer it was just who he was even if he knew who that was exactly no clue no clue what would your mom say to him as he's yelling this stuff well, remember, my mom used third work third trick. So, she so she'd go to work at about, what, 11 p.m. or, or so? still sleeping mm-hmm. because she would try to sleep. She'd come home in the morning. She'd be up. She'd spend time with her mother and her sisters and, and everything. So then she would, you know, go to sleep in the early afternoon. Then she'd get up and make dinner. And then she'd try to go back to bed a little bit before she went to work. And then she worked, like I said, 11 to 7. Um, she just stayed in the other room. Sometimes she would be you know, leave them kids alone or something, but pretty much she just learned to keep her mouth shut, keep her nose stuck in a book and just leave him alone because there was nothing you could do that was going to, it was going to stop. Hopefully he would just eventually fall asleep in his chair and pass out and shut up or get up and go to bed. It's just, it was just verbal abuse all the time. Did your love of reading come from your mom? Absolutely. Absolutely. My mother would go to the library once a week and she would take two brown grocery bags and fill them up with books. She would read them in two weeks and take them back every did, two weeks. What were, what did she like? Oh, well, of course, uh, romance novels. My sure. Loved steaming hot, smutty romance novels. <laughs> I wonder why. Well, you know, I think she was looking for what she thought she had and she didn't. Um, now, did you... Like I would like I tried to read my dad's books when I was a kid mm-hmm. uh, and I'd be like, I don't care about helicopters seven pages into the Tom Clancy book. Mm-hmm. Did you is did you start by reading what your mom brought home or how how did you get into what you what you love to read? Oh, I went with my mom anywhere I could go um, when I was little. So I would go to the library with her every week um, and it was really a cool place. Uh all the kids section was like downstairs in a, in a basement that was really cold. And it was a really, really, really old building. It's a crying shame in my hometown. It was one of the 
libraries it was built by, there was a man that had a lot of money and he came into the state of Indiana and built several libraries. And one of them was in Portland and um, had one of those old cool Coke machines to where you'd put the money in and it had the long neck bottles in it. And you opened up a lid, like kind of like a casket. And then you dragged the bottle down to this little section and put it there, put your quarter and you pulled it out like out of a claw. That was really cool. But I mean, I, I would go to the library with my mother and just spend hours. And it was also a reason, you know, to get out of the house and get away from from dad. But I also spent a lot of time um, with my grandparents who um, were very loving individuals. And that, again, these are your mother's parents, obviously, because your, your dad. My was grandmother, so her name was Mary Ellen, but we all called her Nene. And uh, I cannot tell you, I don't think I've ever met anyone in my life that was more loving and caring and comforting than my grandmother. So how did how did your grandmother react to the way that your dad behaved? Well, we were upstairs. They were downstairs. She'd just shake her head and be like, oh, your dad. I mean, you got to remember, by the time I got around, my parents had been married for 14, 15 years and then lived there the whole time, except for, I think, one year of their marriage where they lived in Seattle. Um, so they were just used to it, and they just ignored it. Yeah. Uh, it, I just imagine like it would just be, that would be hard to hear all the time, but I guess if you're used to it after all of those years and did it, did anybody ever really that, you know, of ever confront him and say, Warren, why don't you just be nicer to your family or anything like that? Several people, uh, even in the family. And, um, like I said, it was just better off. I think everyone just came to the final conclusion that my father was just not ha- happy and i don't know what was ever going to make him happy so he was pretty much even though he was right there all the time um ostracized by the family and just not included he never went anything i mean we had family dinners every sunday downstairs with my grandparents and their other children would come over with their kids and uh, my dad never came downstairs and joined in on that when we would go out to dinner i remember when i was really young sometimes um, mom and dad would go to the moose and my dad never ate. And I think I was probably six or seven when we maybe eight, we stopped going out like maybe once a month to the moose with the boys and with mom and dad. And I remember asking my mother, why don't we go out anymore? And she said, because I'm not going out somewhere to eat, to have someone watch me eat so they can sit there and drink. And then he would of course always, uh, pick on one of the boys while we were there. Um, and so then mom was always trying to maintain low tones and dad would just, he wouldn't be screaming yelling at that point, but what he was saying was not nice. And my mother always told me, you don't air your dirty linen in public. And so I believe that when my father, um, just could not stop being verbally abusive, um, in public or whatever, that's why things just ceased with him and why he had his own routine and did his own thing because my mom was not going to be subjected to that. And she definitely was not going to let the community know that my dad was such an asshole. Hmm. Um, Cause he had a different, as you, as I said, a different persona with them um, than he did at home. Yeah. And, and so JC, we know he, he just got the hell out, right? That's how he mm-hmm. dealt with it. How did, how did Matthew deal with, with that um, type of unrelenting pressure? My brother, Matt, is incredibly talented and incredibly intelligent. And he, uh, the home that we grew up in, as I told you, the big house, it has 20-some rooms in it, but it has a full, complete attic. 
And so he went up there and he um, built his own ham radio and he played guitar. Mm. So he would spend almost all of his time up in the attic, um, either on the ham radio or tinkering around and building things like that. And um, just not be involved with us on the other floors. That's just where he went. And at night, he was also the type of person that um, slept all day and worked at night or you know, he was just a late riser, which is probably why my dad always called him a drag ass when it was time to go to school. I don't know. But um, so he would set up there in the, he would open the windows because the windows are from probably, they're probably about six foot and they go from the floor of the attic to the, um, not completely to the top, but pretty tall. They're about six foot stained glass windows. And um, he wow. would sit there and he would take his amplifier and he would push it backwards. So it went out side the sound did and he would sit there in the middle of the night all night and play his guitar so the entire community could hear it um or he'd get on the ham radio because his ham radio was right over my bedroom so i can remember growing up when i would go to sleep um i'd always know he was up there because i'd hear this because he was on his ham radio did that drive you nuts (laughs) no it's actually was comforting to me and it's like my father snored was a horrible horrible snore which a lot of alcoholics are. Um, so if I am somewhere with somebody that really snores really loud and obnoxious, it's puts me to sleep. It's comforting. God. Oh, okay. Well, if I may introduce you to me or my sister, uh, we're both terrible snorers because we've got the sleep apnea and, uh, and I know me you too. know that. Yeah, I know me you, too, you Kevin. do too. You were one of the people who were like, you just get the fuck down there and get that mask, Kevin, you get that mask and you wear it every night. Yes, because you're going to feel so much better. It does help. It really, 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 really does help. Um, okay, so you, youngest of four, so you get, you're growing up, you become, uh, as you will, a teenager. Um, tell me about uh, the gentleman that you met when you were 15 years old. Mm-hmm. So, small town, and I met someone that called me up and asked me out. He was seven years older than I was. <clears throat> and you're and, fi- you're um, 15 at the hmm? time. Pardon? You're 15 at the time that he called you, so he would have been 22. That's correct. Okay. Um, he would see me and my cousin drive, ride our bicycles past where he was renting um, in Portland, and he obviously liked what he saw, so he called me up and asked me out, and we went out on a date. He borrowed his sister's car, which was a white Trans Am with the old T-tops that you took out of the top. And he took me to a movie. He took me to go see Cheech and Chong up in smoke. Classy. And, um, yep. Well, I thought he was cool. Mm-hmm. He treated me great. Uh, just like kind of put me up on a pedestal and he was older and he was cool and all that stuff. So, did anybody point out the, the the age difference being an issue, especially with you being fifteen? No, um, okay. not at all. Even I can tell you, back then, um, I think it was. It, it's not right. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that, but I think it was more acceptable than you find nowadays. Uh, okay, and you you said he was a friend of of your older brothers. Well, he went. He went to Cub Scouts with with my brother Matthew, and they knew each other because very small town, population seven thousand. Everybody knew everybody, so um, my parents knew their parents, and 
Um, I think I dated him for six months until anybody found out about it. Uh, okay. So he puts you up on a pedestal. He takes you to comedy gems, like up in smoke. How, how did things go from there? Well, after about, I would say probably a year, um, the relationship changed and, um, he basically treated me like I was his possession. Um, I was not allowed to speak unless spoken to. Um, if we were to go, if we went places and there were friends of mine there or mutual friends and he caught me talking to them or anything, he would scream and yell at me when I got home and tell me I was making a fool of myself. And pretty much he smashed me under my, under his thumb and kept me there for seven years. Um, because I believe based on everything I know about myself now, seeing my relationship with my father and my mother, I thought that that's what you were supposed to have with somebody that treated you like shit. Someone that yelled at you, someone that didn't respect you or love you or let you be you. And, um, so I thought that was normal. I didn't know it wasn't normal. And then being you first love, Oh my God, I'm going to die if I don't have him. Oh my God. You know, mm -hmm. I would over the years when we were still in Indiana before we actually even moved to Texas, um, he would get mad at me over something. It was always something absolutely ridiculous. And he would pack up all my stuff and he would set it out on the doorstep and tell me to come and get it. And then I'd go down there to get it. And then he would tell me he wanted to talk to me and he would like, scream at me and chew me out and tell me that he was doing this for my own good. And that, you know, I couldn't grow up to be the person he knew I could be if I didn't know the difference between good times and bad times. And of course I was very young, impressionable and brainwashed. So I went along with that for a long time. Uh, sorry. Uh, he was, sorry. He was implying that you don't know the difference between good times and bad times and he needed you to. Is that, is that what you mean? Well, if he, if we didn't argue and he didn't put me in my place and have these talks with me and correct me and oh. tell me how to be, then um, how would I ever learn the difference between what is right and wrong and what is normal and not normal? So that's why uh, I just needed to listen to him because he knew everything and I knew nothing. And um, yeah. yeah, that's how I would recognize the good times was because they weren't the bad times that we were having right now. Right. I would recognize that a woman knows her place and her place is to do as her man tells her. Um, he shouldn't have to ask for food or drink. She should just know that's what he needs and be monitoring what he's eating or drinking and immediately know when to get up and wait on him and serve him. Well, and you mentioned earlier, going back to your parents, uh, that your dad always ate first. Yes. First and alone. And, uh, yes. Now when yes. I have a couple, so when you say speak and let, uh, do not speak unless spoken to. So if it's just the two of you in the house, you couldn't say to him, hey, maybe we can go see a movie or, or whatever it may be. You have to wait until he says something to you? Yes. So you, you would just sit there silently? Yes. And what would happen if you spoke first? I would be yelled at or looked at. And, oh, that, there was also the silent treatment. If I spoke my opinion or, or, or questioned him about anything, um, then I would get the silent treatment. I think that was even worse for me sometimes because I didn't have a lot of communication. I was, oh, and of course, totally cut off from my friends and family because he was the only one that knew what was best for me. And I believe that. And you were still living in the same town? 
Yes, we lived. Um, I moved in with him when I turned 16 because I loved him and he loved me and I couldn't live without him. And my parents knew nothing. And so, you know, you, you get the gist. So, yeah. um, and of course my mother and father and everyone, they were all like, you need to get away from him. My cousin, all my friends, no, he loves me. You don't understand. So of course, when I was 16 and knew better than anybody else, uh, I packed up and moved in with him. And, and then you just finished high school living with him? Well, actually, I quit high school um, my senior year. Was that because did he asked you to do that? Once again, there's a lot of things I've done in my life that I look back on now, and uh, they weren't the right choices, but they did make me who I am today. So I don't regret them. I just know that when I came to that fork in the road, I should have gone left instead of right. Was was the reason, did he ask you to leave high school or was that you're just like, I'm done with this shit? No, um, we briefly touched on this when we were in Chicago. Kevin, my cousin had her accident. That's right. I'm sorry. My cousin I, had I her accident yep. and she was, she would have been a graduating senior and um, I was a junior. And when I went back to high school following the accident, um, I went to a school where if you missed X number of days in a time period, you automatically forfeited all your credits. Now, I was an honor roll student, um, active in choir, um, honor society and all that. But uh, when I went started my senior year after the accident, I went to school and I was there like the first week. And one of the teachers came up to me and said, Whitney, do you realize you have all Fs for this semester? And I said, what are you talking about? It's like, well, the automatic failure list came out and you're on it. So I went down to the principal's office and spoke with them and they said, yes, you went one day over. So you've automatically forfeited your credits. Don't worry about it, Whitney, because it just means you won't be able to graduate mid-semester. You'll just have to take the whole year. And I told them to take it and shove it up their ass because the reason that I missed all those days is because when my cousin had her accident, um, I spent an enormous amount of time in the intensive care unit in Fort Wayne. And um, also met with her doctors and uh, a lot. So I missed, I think, I can't remember exactly how many, much time we were supposed, we were allowed to miss. But I was out for like two and three weeks uh, at a time off and on during that time period when she was in the intensive care unit because she was uh, unresponsive and in a coma for three months. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just have to say this right that's an extremely noble thing to do to be there for someone like that even at that young of an age to 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 be that empathetic and loving and to give up you know what did john mellencamp say that's a bunch of bullshit hold on to 16 as long as you can <laughs> um yes. Yes. you know but you know you're supposed to be having oh i'm in high school i'm having a great time you know and you you forfeited that to to help be there for somebody which i think is another thing uh, that that makes you who you are, or at least the Whitney that I know, is you're always there trying to be there for other people um, in, in the best way that you know how. So I, I, I would like to say that, you know, that uh, I, I think that's really admirable. Oh, thank you. It was a lesson hard learned. Um, Those are the best I, lessons. Yes, they absolutely are. And um, Way after the lesson has taken place. <laughs> Yeah, that's why, I mean, drinking and driving for me is a, a really bad thing because that's 
what that was is what that all revolved around was the fact that she was always the one that could drink and drive and we hadn't i'll let you know she, she was turning 18 she turned 18 <clears throat> she was nine months older than me she's the one i told you about earlier that right. lived there so she mm-hmm. was like my sister and we had a big birthday party for her and um she had a boyfriend that lived about 40 miles away and he wanted to go home that night we'd all been partying we'd all been drinking and she was like oh i can drive because she was always the one that could drive so they got in the car and they left it was february and when she came to the T in the road at the end of the country road, because she was taking back roads, she fell asleep at the wheel and she drove straight into the telephone pole and wrapped the car completely around it like a U. Um, and her chin went down on the steering wheel. She broke her jaw. She was thrust forward. She broke her clavicle. She broke her right femur. And she had... Uh, an older car that my brother Matthew had found for it was really cool. One of those old Mark Monte Carlos, you know, with the long, big, heavy doors and the short backs. I can't even remember what year it was, but he had gotten a sound system for her. Uh, and he had not gotten the speakers in yet and he hadn't mounted them down inside the back. So when the impact of the car hit the pole, one of the speakers that he had that he had just rigged up that he had spare of um, come flying from the back and hit her in the base of the skull and caused her to have a bruise sprain. So this happened at about midnight and they laid there until eight o'clock in the morning until they were found her and her boyfriend who went through the windshield. Um, he had 50 some stitches in his head and there was nothing wrong with him, but uh, she, when they found her and they didn't know if she was male or female until they cut the clothes off of her because she was so engorged in blood and everything was so broken. Um, and as I said, she was in a, coma for three months until we got um, some kind of response out of her. She now lives, um, she's still living and she lives in a a rehab facility um, in Indianapolis with people of like um, physical and mental capabilities. Her mentality is that of a sixth grader. Um, She's paralyzed on one side. Um, She is not doing as well as we would all like, but it's just part of what brain damage is. So, her aging and everything is escalated more than, than, you know, someone that didn't have these difficulties. Um, but it was very traumatic for our entire family. Um, my, my brother, Matthew, the people that had the party myself, because I left because Richard called and found out I was there. And that was the boyfriend we were talking about it. Mm-hmm. And he told me I had to leave and how dare I even go to a party without his permission. So that's why I had left. It wasn't there when she decided she wanted to leave. Um, but it, like I said, very devastating for our entire family. I cannot imagine. Well, um, I'm so sorry that all of that happened. And um, it's just fucking horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, you said this is one of the reasons you, and you mentioned like, you know, you only had to be 18 in Ohio to drink, et cetera. Did you do a lot of, uh, did you and the fella do a lot of partying? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. We all did. Um, that's what you did in central Indiana. You, Sounds right. There was anything else that you cruised. I'm sure you remember this in your town. Probably they did it. You everyone had the cruise street. Mm-hmm. You cruised down to one place, turned around, came back and cruised. And mm-hmm. then there was also the parking lot that everybody sat in. Everybody smoked dope. Everybody did drugs. Everybody drank. Everyone had sex. 
that's pretty much what it was doing the cruise, doing drugs, going out in the country, having sex, going to doing the cruise again, hanging out literally. I mean, that's what we did in, in small town America when I was 15, 16, 17, 18. <clears throat> if you were someone that thought you could get away with going to Ohio and being served for 18, more power to you. Um, I was one of those people. I did not have a fake ID, but I could almost always get myself in and be served. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to hold on to 16 as long as I can. That sounds like, a mm-hmm. t- you know. Okay, so how you were with, how long were you with this gentleman? Seven years. Okay, and how did that end? Well, he... Um, We were living in Austin, Texas, because we lived together, like I said, for seven years, and he had moved to Austin, and we were on one of those semi-breakups at the time, and he convinced me to come down and visit him, and of course, then did his song and dance like he always did every time something happened. Oh, I made such a mistake. I'm so wrong. I love you so much. I can't live without you, blah, blah, blah. So, of course, for the probably thousandth time, I believed it, packed up all my stuff, and moved to Texas. Um, while I was there, uh, got a job, uh, some people from my hometown, I'd also all moved down there. So I had some really, uh, good friends and their brothers that were my brother's age that were, um, also there. So I had kind of like a hometown community there in Austin. So I had people Well, he had decided to go to work for my brother, Wyatt, my brother, Wyatt had a telecommunications company and he was having a hard time getting a job. He was an electrician. So Wyatt said, okay, he can work for me. And what my brother Wyatt did was he maintained the boxes at the bottom of cell towers, which allows you to have cell phone service. And back in the day, he started when you still had those great, big, huge, chunky um, cell phones with the huge batteries, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And so Wyatt basically had a business where he provided strictly labor, um, worked for Bell South, HughesNet, people like that, and maintained these junction boxes. So Richard went to work for for him. And um, Wyatt and Richard happened to be in Odessa, Texas, working together. So Wyatt called me up and said, hey, I'm out here in Odessa and Richard's with me because Wyatt had his own company. He he would periodically go out with his crews. And uh, there was also a friend of his there. I cannot remember his name, to be totally honest with you, but we always called him Captain Obby because he was so obnoxious. So we called him Captain Obby. So Captain Obby, Wyatt, and Richard were working in Midland, Odessa. So I flew up there for the weekend. And um, we had a good time. And the day that I was supposed to leave to fly back to Austin, uh, Richard decided to get really drunk. So we went out to lunch. He got really drunk. We went to the movies. We went to go see Aliens. It was the first time it came out, where he continued to get drunker because he had taken liquor into the movie theater. And then, so then it was time to take me to the airport where we got into an argument on the way to the airport. So we are on the eight lane interstate uh, going to the Dallas Fort Worth airport. We were 30 miles away from um, the airport and we were running late and he was screaming and yelling at me. And I just remember him saying, there's no pleasing you or your fucking brother. He whipped the car over put it into park and said, get the fuck out, got out, took my suitcase, threw it down in the middle of the road and pulled off. It was 6 p.m. at night, Dallas, Fort Worth on the side of the interstate where I stood in my high heels and my poofed up 80s hair and my suitcase crying because my boyfriend just dumped me on the side of the road. 
So I stood there for a second. I looked around. I stuck my thumb out. And this guy pulled over. And he was a big old cowboy dude. His name was Johnny. And he was from Wink, Texas. Wink? Thank you. Wink. Yes. Thank you, <laughs> okay. Johnny. If you ever listen to this, he got me in the car. I was crying. He asked me what was going on. He says, I'll get you to the airport. You just hang on. So he drove as fast as he could to the airport. He walked me all the way to my gate where right when I walked up, they said, flight so-and-so has been delayed for 45 minutes. We are now boarding. Wow. So I literally walked up and walked on and knew at that point that there was a higher power than me, Buddha, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Don't care. A shaman, whoever it was, looked down and said, okay, enough is enough. He had to literally put your life in jeopardy, Whitney. He had to literally make you fear for your life to realize that this person is a walking, screaming asshole who cares nothing about himself and you need to get the hell away. So that is finally where you guys find that was the end of it. Well, I saw him one other time after that because I went back and we lived in a duplex. And um, when I went back, um, of course, my brother called me because he found out as soon as I got home. I don't know how he found out. I think it was probably one of my friends I talked to when I got back and they called Wyatt and told him he was furious. Oh, my God. He's like, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to kick his ass right now. And let me let me explain to you. Richard is probably like six foot two, worked out all the time, probably 225 pounds and just all muscle. And my brother Wyatt was built a lot like you, Kevin. Like so the opposite of that? Yeah. So, <laughs> but he, you know, he was not, he was just a smaller dude and didn't work out. You know, he was just very <laughs> suave individual. And I told him, I was like, he's like, I'm going to go fucking fire him. I'm going to kick his ass. And I said, no, please don't. I said, because if you go fire him, and kick his ass, he will come home and I need to get out of here. So when he went back, um, he waited till the next day and then he transferred Richard off of that crew onto another crew in um, California and stuck him out there for six weeks. So he gave me enough time to lease our apartment and move out before he then fired him. Okay. And so the, in, in Wyatt, again, just as as we're going is, is your brother is four years older than you. So the third of the four of you, that's correct. And were you always closest to Wyatt? Yes. Wyatt he, and I am. Yes. Tell me about, you know, Wyatt's trek, you know, growing up in Portland. What, what did he do when he left Portland? Um, Oh gosh. Well, um, Wyatt went to the military. He, uh, him and some friends. This is back in the day also when if you got in trouble, you were an ornery boy, did something you shouldn't, you could get your choice of whether you went to boys' school or if you went to the military. Mm. And so my wife, my other wife got in a little trouble with some friends, and my dad happened to be friends with the judge. And so when he graduated from high school, he went to the military, and he went to the Air Force for four years. Okay. And then after he got out of the Air Force, uh, he moved back home, but then he moved to Arizona. He moved to, he moved around quite a bit. Um, but he moved to Texas and we lived together for, well, beginning of the Richard years. He was there a lot. And when actually Richard and I left the farmhouse that we had in town called Farmland, Indiana, Wyatt moved into it after us. Um, the town was called that, Farmland, Indiana. Yes. Well, that's on the yeah. nose. And um, 
I lived in Muncie and was working there, but Richard, that was the first time he moved to Texas when he first went. And uh, Wyatt moved into my own farmhouse and I moved into Muncie because I worked there. Um, but when Wyatt started working in the telecommunications field, he was someone that just had a truck and had his own tools and was contracting with someone um, to do what he ended up doing as a business. And um, he was, my brother Wyatt was very charismatic, um, very lucky individual. Uh, just one of these people that you always wanted to be around. You're always going to have a good time. And um, he, one day when he was working for these people doing this telecommunication, said, well, I could do this myself. So he went out and borrowed $3,000 and bought the tools and turned that into a million dollar business. I mean, where he had crews all over the United States and was making so much money. He just ran his business from his phone and was incredibly successful. Part of that, I believe, was just who he was and his charisma and his ability to talk a good fucking game. And he also loved the ladies. Oh, he loved the ladies. Ladies love Wyatt. Now, okay. The ladies love Wyatt just because the same thing you're saying. He's very charismatic, that type of thing. Yeah, and he... He loved the ladies, and he would always treat a lady like a lady no matter what. Even if you were the rudest bitch in the room, he would still find a way to find a common ground with you and make you fall in love with him before he left. That's just who he was. Now, how often, so around when, you know, the, the incident where you, you and your um, your first real boyfriend broke up for good, the, the horrible incident where you were left on the side of the road, how long... Uh, or how often were you and Wyatt talking then? Did you talk like daily? Did you, I mean, I know well, at it's least, not as... At e- least weekly. We talked all weekly. the time because even when he lived in Arizona and when he lived other places, we talk, talked at least once a week. I would say at longest we would go would be two weeks because he was always checking on me, making sure and I was okay and knowing what I was doing and knowing what he was doing. So we just had one of those relationships out of all three of my brothers that was closer than any of the other ones. And Wyatt... Uh, always wanted to know what I was doing and always wanted to make sure I was okay. And, you know, did you and him, did you and him, did you and he speak a lot about kind of your upbringing, about your dad or anything like that? Well, Wyatt would tell you a different story if he were here today than what I would tell you about my father, because he was a firm believer if you don't air your dirty laundry. Mm. And uh, so one thing that used to frustrate uh, his wife was the fact that when Anyone would bring dad up and say anything in a negative light. He was like, well, I don't remember it that way. And then he would change the subject because once again, you don't air your dirty laundry and he didn't want people to know that part of his life. I think he was embarrassed, ashamed. So he, he clearly remembered it that way, but it was, it was the theory that we don't talk about that to people who are not family. Absolutely. If he were, if he were here today, he'd be horrified. I was talking to you. Sorry about this. (laughs) I know that that's, that's the, that's what I grew up with. That's was, was how well, it, it was. We just don't talk about that stuff. I'm that, sure you've, you've, you've heard that before from possibly even other guests. Oh it's yes, just, for sure. Just don't talk about um, it. Of that generation. You just never, ever, apparently, you know, you never talked about this stuff. Did that lead you to you and Wyatt fighting? Like the, the way that he saw things differently or, or, you know, would not acknowledge the way that you felt about your dad? Would that lead to any sort of fights? No, because uh, with my brothers, as I told you, I mean, I loved all my brothers and worshiped them and so badly wanted to be a boy and be a part of their circle. And they were so much older than me that 
I would just pretty much do anything to please them when, even when I was in my twenties, um, because I wanted a relationship with my brothers and I didn't want to do anything to jeopardize it. So if it was something that made them uncomfortable or they didn't want to talk about, maybe the two of us would banter back and forth about it, but I would let them have their way and just change the subject because it made them that uncomfortable. And it hurt me to know that they were uncomfortable, even though they even may have started the conversation or someone else who grew up with us, his friends, my friends would talk about my dad and things like that and why it would always try to salve it over. Like that's what it wasn't really like. Um, even though everybody knew. So it's just one of those things you just didn't really talk about because you knew it was going to go somewhere and why wasn't worth there? it. Why make a good time, a bad time because you want to relive something that's in the past. You can do absolutely nothing about. Yeah. Okay. So you, uh, obviously you have said that, uh, excuse me, you've used the word was a lot when speaking about why. Yes. Um, so tell me, Tell me what happened. Um, well, <clears throat> my brother, uh, this was 22 years ago. Okay. Um, we, uh, my brother was very successful. I was living back in Indiana with my husband. Uh, he had a, we had a directional underground directional drilling business. And I had three children under the age of three. Um, my husband traveled all the time. So I moved back home uh, for a short time so that I could have help with the kids. Um, and uh, it was Christmas time. And we all decided for a Christmas present for my mother that year that we were all going to have a family picture taken because it's something that we'd never done. My brother lived in Brookville, Indiana at the time. I lived in Portland. Brookville's about an hour south where I grew up. So, is that near um, Farmville? Brookville. No, Brookville, what was the name yeah. of that town? Farm, Farmland? Sorry, is that near Farmland? No. No, okay. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Brookville is outside of Cincinnati. Hey, <laughs> I like Cincinnati. <laughs> but, uh, so anyway, my, uh, my other brother, Matthew, lives in New York at the time. My brother, JC, lives in Portland and JC never left Portland. Matt moved to New York to follow his dream, which got squelched. That's a whole other story. Um, and um, why it was successful with his business. And um, my husband and I were, were trying to make a go of it. So anyway, we were going to take family pictures for my mom for um, Christmas. We'd never done that. So we all got together at the big house, had family pictures taken. Um, it was a really good day. Uh, my brother, Wyatt, wouldn't he was trying to be mr stoic wyatt which is hysterical so we were all in the same room because i when you look at the big house and the way it's set up where we were taking pictures is like an entryway with a big staircase and it was just really a cool place to have pictures taken and um, so then after we did the family pictures we took individual family pictures jc and his wife and their kids matt and lorenza and um myself and my family of this individual so it was wyatt and yvonne um Landon and Sarah and Wyatt was standing up there trying to be all stoic and wouldn't smile. And my brother, Matt screams from the other room, smile, you goddamn turd burglar. And I mean, we all lost it <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know, smiled really big. It was him it was a great picture. So anyway, we all hung out for a while and then 
uh, Wyatt also owned a home in Florida because his wife wanted a swimming pool, but he didn't want a swimming pool. So he just bought her house in Florida, had a swimming pool because she was a teacher. And um, always after Christmas, they would go down for two or three months and, and spend time down there. Mm. Um, so when he was getting ready to leave, last thing I said to him was, I love you, you turd burglar. And he was like, I love you too. Um, three days later, I believe it was. I was sitting at the little house with Brad because he was still home. That's my husband mm-hmm. and the kids. I was reading Diane Gabaldon's Outlander, the fiery cross. Nice. I know, you know, yes. Um, and uh, a knock was on my door and I got up and it was Yvonne Wyatt's wife's one of her sisters. She's a family of about six or seven. I can't actually remember. And um, she lived there in Portland and she come in. I said, Hey, what's up? And she was like, well, I need to tell you something. I was like, can you tell me what? And she said, I think we've lost Wyatt. And I said, lost Wyatt? What the fuck do you mean? And she was like, well, I think we've lost him. I was like, you need to define yourself. What the hell are you saying? I was like, lost at sea? And I can still remember saying that to her. Lost at sea? Where the fuck is he? Because he had this beautiful home down there. He had a fishing boat. He fished all the time. Um, manatees would come up to their back door where their house was and shit. Cause it was really cool. And she's like, no, I think he died. And I was like, what the fuck? I said, you don't know. How do you know this? And she says, well, I'm not sure. And I said, you walk, you came in and walk into my house and tell me that my brother is dead and you're not sure. And I turned around. My husband was standing there. She was standing there looking like who screwed the pooch because I know she felt like shit and I went straight to the telephone and I picked it up and I called the number of the house in Florida. And my niece, Landon, um, answered. And I said, Landon. <laughs> and she said, Whitney Wyatt's gone. He died this morning. I told you I could do this. <laughs> I'm sorry. You do not need to apologize at all. Um, it was devastating. I then um got just a little bit of information from her, and she told me she said I haven't called anybody else, Aunt Whitney, and I said I'll take care of it. So I asked Becky, that was Yvonne's sister, because my kids were there. I said, "Will you stay here with the boys? I need to go tell my family." So my husband and I got in the car and we drove out to my brother JC's um, where I told him that Wyatt had died. Of course, trauma all over again, just like I had just witnessed and I knew I was still in shock. So, of course, he gathered up his son and his wife and we went to the big house to tell my mom and my aunt Connie and my brother Matt and his wife. And my Aunt Connie was two years older than my mother, and they lived in the house together after their husbands had died. Aunt Connie was downstairs. I was like, Aunt Connie, I need need to tell you something. She was like, what? And I was like, you need to go upstairs. And she was like, what's wrong? And I said, we need to go upstairs. Because I didn't want to do it again. I didn't want to do it twice. And um, we were going up the stairway, and we just got to the top of the stairs, and I... JC had come up the back stairs with Nancy and Andrew, and I heard my mom <laughs> screaming. And I can still hear it to this day. When my brother told her why it was dead, 
and he had died in Florida. And since it was an unattended death, it took us, I think, like 10 or 12 days to get him home because they had to do an autopsy um, because he died at home. He died in sleep. Uh, and so that began one of the most tragic, traumatic times in my entire life. Um, but he had uh, he had had a really good day that day uh, because I did talk to someone who was there that day with him because he came to the funeral. And I told him I wanted to tell him, let him tell me what that day was like. And he went over there and Yvonne was doing her thank you cards from Christmas out at the pool. Wyatt and him sit around and had a couple talk cocktails and they had dinner. And then they were watching a movie and Wyatt had fallen asleep on the floor because he always liked to lay on the floor with a pillow. Um, and Yvonne said that um, he fell asleep and she said he was seemed like he was so tired. And so she put the girls to bed and she went to bed. And then the next morning when she got up, he had died in his sleep. Um, and he was 43, I believe. And um, after everything was said and done, it was found that he had some heart issues that uh, none of us were aware of. And he had a heart attack and died. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, I miss my brother every day. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's, it, it's just horrible, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's yes, not, it's very hard. It, it's, yeah. it's just very hard. It, that's uh, a inadequate yeah. way to describe it, but I, I think it's going to have to, that's, that's what I have right now. And, you know, you, you said something, uh, after telling us a lot of very difficult things, um, that this then and I'm going to misquote you a little bit, but I think you said this, this kicked off one of the most traumatic um, periods of my life. Yes. What, what did you mean by that? Well, um, my touchstone was gone. I didn't know that at the time. Um, but the one person that always took care of me, always loved me, never really gave me shit. I didn't deserve helped make me who I was, was, was gone in my life. And there were so many unanswered questions. And um, my husband, like I said, traveled on the road. So of course, after we went through this fucking funeral from hell, because my brother also had a huge impact on the community and people that he grew up with. Um, when we had the funeral, there were like 140 some cars in the procession because i mean it's like everybody came and then no one could believe that he had passed away um but my, my husband had after the funeral my, my husband had to go back on the road because he was working anywhere he could to get work and so i was left with my grieving mother my grieve her grieving sister my entire grieving family, the entire grieving fucking community, and my three children. And um, I, uh, I had a real, real, real fucking hard time with it because I just couldn't really accept that he was gone. Um, I got to the point where I wouldn't leave the house um, because every time that I would go out of the house, even if I just went outside or whatever, I would think I'd see him um, at the grocery store or at the gas station. 
no matter where I went, I, I just fucking constantly saw him. And it would, it's just, I mean, I'd be calling for him. I dreamed about, it, about him constantly. Um, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't, I couldn't face reality that he was gone. And then everywhere I was, everywhere I went, I was looking for him. And I swear to God to this day. And I even told my husband this and he, he will tell several people this when he will run into them and they've had a loss or something's going on in their life. He will tell them this story because he says that he lost his wife for an entire year because I told Brad, I think it was probably the first time he came home about a month after Wyatt had died and he came home for a weekend and we had gotten to an argument and he's like, what's wrong with you? And I said, what's wrong with me? I was like, I don't even want to fucking be here anymore. I said, if it weren't for the fact that I have three little faces looking up at me, expecting me to make life okay for them every fucking day. I said, even you would not be enough for me. I would rather just crawl in that hole with him and just fucking die. I don't even want to be in a world where he is not. Because that's how much of a impact it had on me and how much my brother meant to me. Now, I didn't understand at the time. I just knew that I felt like my whole world had fallen apart. And if I didn't have my boys, who, like I said, three under three, um, mm. expected me to take care of them every day, I, I don't know that if I, I would have been here to this day. But it, it got to the point where... Um, I wasn't coming out of the house. My mom was concerned. My husband was concerned. Um, I started drinking. Um, and I would, oh my God, I would like shotgun. You know what it is a shotgun of beer? Oh, well, I am from the Midwest. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, every day I was shotgunning at least a 12 pack and I was shotgunning them because I couldn't get numb enough. It didn't matter what I did. I couldn't run away from it. Um, so finally, uh, I went to a doctor and um, my hometown and talked with her briefly. And she was like, number one, you need some fucking anti-anxiety meds. I was like, okay, whatever you say. So she gave me some, and she goes, and I, I said, I want you to go talk to somebody. But I was like, ah, I don't need to, you know, I don't need to talk to somebody. Uh, I'm not going to air my dirty linen, you know, all, there's right. that in the mm -hmm. back of my head. And, and I realized that there were problems. I mean, I was having some of my friends say, saying stuff to me. I started smoking cigarettes at that time. I'd never smoked cigarettes in my entire life until my brother Wyatt died. That's when you started smoking? I guess yes. I didn't know that. Okay. So in your late late 30s or, or right around when you turned 40, you started smoking? I was probably, well, Jacob was a year and a half. So I was, so I was like 40. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I found a therapist and I went up there for six months. I was on medication, antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. And I went up once a week for six months and talked to this woman. And um, my last the time before my last time I talked with her, uh, she asked me to write a letter to my brother. Um, if I could tell him everything I, I wanted to tell him or, or everything, you know, so, okay, I did that little assignment I came back and sat down and read her that letter. And um, she's like, uh, well, she said, we, number one, I got through the letter and didn't cry. Uh, number two, she said, you know, she didn't really ever give me any feedback on any of my sessions other than 
given me something, you know, assignment or something, you know, to do that I would do when I came back. And right. she looked at me and she said, Whitney, she goes, I'm going to tell you some things. She goes, I know I really haven't told you a lot. She goes, but have you ever stopped to consider that the reason that this was such a devastating blow to you, losing your brothers, he was, he was your father. He was your father. He was your caregiver. He was your, he, when people lose their parents and it's really hard on them to have good, really solid relationships with their parents, that's what he was for me. And that's why I struggled so hard with his loss because I basically lost what I considered my parental unit, my touchstone, my my guiding light that, you know, he always took care of you, always wanted to make sure you were okay. He stepped in for you when you needed to, he always supported you, even if your decision was fucking bad. And what was the last thing that my brother always said to me, whether I had to ask him for emotional help, financial help, whatever it was, the one thing my brother always said to me, is this going to make you happy? Because that's all I want, Whitney. I just want you to be happy. And it was like someone took a big, bucket of ice water and just threw it on me because I had never looked at it from that perspective because I had a loving family. I mean, you know, my dad was an asshole and that, but I mean, my mom loved me and my grandma and grandfather that grew up in the house did, you know, it was, it was not, not a loving family. It's just, my dad was a walking fucking prick. Um, but um, I just had never looked at it in that vein that that is why it had such a huge impact on me. And that, but then that day, she also looked at me and she said, Whitney, I don't think you need to come back anymore. And uh, I didn't. And I went home and uh, got more involved in my life. Uh, started making some plans on what I needed to do to move forward instead of sitting in my own muck and spinning in it. And um, that's what I did. But... I will tell you that um, even to this day, as I said, my brother's been gone for 22 years. Um, every second, every minute, every hour of every day, I miss it. And whenever something good happens to me, bad, whatever it is, First thing that runs through my mind is, oh, I want to call Wyatt. Guess what? I can't. So he was just someone that was just a really great person. I mean, he was a shit too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, we all joke and laugh, but, you know, he was a shit uh, sometimes. But he absolutely loved me and took care of me and helped me be a strong individual when I didn't even believe in myself. Let's say tomorrow you won the lottery. You would be like, I got to call Wyatt. Yes. And then yeah. I got to call Kevin and tell him how much money I'm going to send him. You're damn right. You're goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be the Kevin Crispin Sad Times number one sponsor. <laughs> oh, 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 Brent, stop salivating. Okay. It was the last thing you said to him. I love you, you turd burglar. Yep. Yeah, it was. So, you know, that makes me smile because, you know, that was the last thing I said to him was that I loved him and he knew it. And when he left this world, he knew how much he meant to me. But it's hard to tell, tell sad self that when you think your world is over because someone that you loved that much meant that much to you and helped you from the time you were born. Um, 
it's just hard. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's really hard. And like I said, then to finally be able to talk about everything and have someone from a totally different perspective, look at me and tell me, maybe if you thought about it this way, and then for me to look back at my life, who I was and how I got there to realize that, yeah, I needed that. I needed someone that totally knew nothing about me to tell me that because I wasn't going to see it myself because I was too busy uh, mourning, um, mourning my brother, mourning all of it. I do dream about my brother a lot. Um, matter of fact, and I will tell you, my sister-in-law, Yvonne, uh, Wyatt's widow, mm-hmm. during that time, um, she would call me at all hours of the night, and I would call her at all hours of the night and day whenever I had to talk. Um, and to this day, she has is one of my best friends, um, has never left my side, and always supported me in the best way that she can trying to fill in for Wyatt, and she does a great job of it and I love her for it. Um, but I don't think I would have gotten through some of this stuff without her support also. And she tells me the same about me because it was a really tough time for all of us. And, uh, but you know, I, I, that came out of the relationship was even a closer relationship with her. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now my brothers, I tried to my brother JC and Matt. You know, we all live far apart, but we do still try and, you know, we stay a little bit more close in touch than we did before, but I don't think I'll ever have a relationship with either one of my brothers like I did Wyatt. It's just how it is. Yeah. And I, I just um, uh, I cannot thank you enough for, for sharing that because I know, um, for a fact that unfortunately this is something that is very familiar to a lot of people. Yes. Um, and you know, for different reasons, you know, I, I've, you know, you, you got to know me when we worked together and, mm-hmm. um, you could tell how much my sister helped me out. And, um, I just, I, it makes me want to throw up to even think about that. So the fact that. Remember what I, I told you that one time when we were talking, I think we were talking about it one time and I told you, I said, you know, I said, uh, one thing I want you to do is no matter what your sister wants to do with you or how many, what time it is when she wants to talk to you or whatever it is, you need to stop what you're doing and you need to do it. Um, because if you don't, then you're going to walk away and that's one less memory you're going to have had with them. And my brother Wyatt was always wanting to do something, go places because, you know, he had, he was a success and he would come to my home and, you know, I'm bored. What do you want to do? Let's do this. Let's do that. It's like, I can't, I can't, I can't have kids, this, that, and the other, this responsibility. So, so many times I thought I wasn't deserving or would turn him down to do things, whether it would be a trip anywhere I wanted to go, which he would have taken me on or whether or not it was out to dinner. Um, So all I did was allow myself to have one less memory that I could hang on to now. And I remember telling you one day when we were in the studio that, no matter what, you always need to embrace those moments because you'll find in the future they're what 
keeps that memory of that person alive and, and makes the sad get pushed out and makes the warm and fuzzy even better because when you're missing them and things are sad, you can embrace that memory you had with them and laugh and be right back there again. So you always need to seize those opportunities. It's so you have them moving forward. I think that is uh, obviously an incredibly uh, wise and powerful thing that I, I think I, I take to heart. Um, I basically talk to my sister every day, sometimes multiple times a day. She puts up with my shit. Um, <laughs> and uh, we do a lot of laughing, which is the best part. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's great. And I will tell you another thing. Um, my son, Lucas, mm-hmm. uh, looks a lot like my brother. Uh, my brother and I looked a lot alike. Um, and sometimes when my son, Lucas, will laugh really, really hard. It sounds just like my brother. Mm-hmm. So I always love to get him laughing really hard because I'll hear my brother in his voice. And then if I ever really miss him, all I have to do is look at my niece, his only daughter, who looks just like him and acts just like him. So he's still there. He comes, like I told you, he comes to visit me at night when I dream. And as Yvonne says, she'll call me up and say, Hey, I had a dream about Wyatt. And it's like, I did too. The first thing she always asked me is, how's he look? And I said, he looks goddamn fantastic. And she's like, why is that? Why is it every time I have a dream about him, he looks so fucking good? And I said, I don't know. Wherever he is, he must be having a hell of a good fucking time. Uh, it sounds like wherever no he went, he, he had a great time. So why would, you know, right? So why would this be any different? Exactly. Exactly. Wherever he is, he's having a fucking hell of a time and he's probably the life of the party. Yeah. So, well, but I, I think, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up. Well, and well, just because it's such the way that what you just said, the very wise thing that I, I try to remember every day, not just with my sister, but with so many people is, um, you know, there are two things as I've dealt with my anxiety, my sadness, all that shit. Uh, you know, two major things have helped me and it's, uh, friends and, you know, close family members and, um, books. These, mm-hmm. these are the two things I used to call books, my little saviors. And I try to always remember, you know, I, you know, we give people shit. I give Brent shit all the time, but, and, and a bunch of my friends, but it's, it's like, it's what makes so many things that feel unbearable when you remember those people and you embrace those people. It feels, it's just, it's like a magic elixir. Yes. Yes, it is. Memories are great. Remember what they said in the Coneheads? <laughs> Me- memories, I will enjoy them. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so <laughs> that's where we should end, right there. Uh, before we do wrap up for good, is there anything else that you would like to say? Anything that you wanted to share that maybe you didn't get a chance to before before we uh, well, wrap up? Well, I hope that my story will help people if they find themselves struggling in the same situation to know that, you know, there are people out there that can listen to you. And maybe that person is someone that isn't your friends and family. Maybe you need to go talk to someone that, that has no experience with you or your family so that they can help you through a troubled time asking for help. There's nothing wrong with asking for help, but a lot of us, you know, feel that that's a weakness. It is not. We all need a little help every now and then. And um, I just really hope that my experience can help someone else not feel so lost. Yeah, and I know for a fact that it will. 
And uh, I think what you were trying to say a moment ago is that we get by with a little help from our friends. You're damn right. Kevin. You're damn right. <laughs> Whitney, I love you very much. I love you more. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story and, and, and telling us all about what, everything that you told us about. So thank you very much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. You are welcome. And uh, I will end the show as I always do and try to say that there is always room for kindness and grace, uh, even with ourselves. Um, I forget it every day. I forgot it about 42 times today um, in the first five minutes I was awake. But there is always room for kindness and grace. And we'll see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.